0: Well, if you have your Bible, you can make your way over to Matthew chapter 28. I begin, I want to share a quote from Oswald Chambers who said, We are not to make people converts of our opinions, but we are to make them disciples of Jesus. With Election Day coming up this week, we are being barraged by people telling us what to think and who to trust in people trying to convince us that they know how to fix our problems in our nation. There are lots of people trying to make us converts to their opinions. And it's good for us to be involved in the democratic process of electing our leaders and voting on proposed laws. It's good to share in the conversation about the direction that our society should take for its future. I don't want to discourage anyone from doing that. In fact, I encourage you to vote and be an active citizen of our country. But rather than spending all of our energies on trying to convince people to share our opinions about ballot measures and politicians and social issues, I want to encourage us to focus our greatest energies on making disciples of Jesus Christ. The most valuable thing that we have to offer people is Jesus. People becoming followers of Jesus will have a greater positive impact on our society than anything else that can be done. Now, someone will say to me, that kind of thinking fails to address the immediate needs of people. And I will counter by asking you who are followers of Jesus to look at your own life. What changed you from a self-destructive, others-hating, self-centered person? What changed your way of thinking about what is right and wrong? What gave you real hope for your future? What filled your life with peace in the middle of the turmoil and confusion? What caused you to love and to care for others who are not part of your tribe? What changed you at the bedrock of your being. It wasn't a law passed by our government. It wasn't the brilliance of a politician. It wasn't a regime change in our government. It was a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in us. I'm afraid to imagine what kind of person I would be today if Jesus Christ had not rescued me from myself and put me on a different path. I still have a long way to go. And I'm, But I am a lot further now than I was when I started, And I am in, and I am trusting him to complete his good work in me as I continue to follow him. Yeah. We're going to complete our Bible study through the Gospel of Matthew today looking at the final charge that Jesus gave his disciples. Last time, we looked at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified on Friday and placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Early Sunday morning, several women, including Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, went to the tomb to finish preparations of the body of Jesus for burial. But when they got there, things were not as they had expected. The large stone that was over the entrance of the tomb had been rolled back out of the way. And an angel greeted them, giving them a message for the disciples that Jesus had been risen from the dead just like he said he would be and that he would meet them in Galilee. The women, confused, frightened, excited, joyful, all at the same time, they left to tell the disciples. And then all of the sudden, they ran into Jesus himself. And they fell at his feet and they worshiped him. Today, we're picking up the story when Jesus meets up with the disciples and gives them some final instructions before he returns to the Father. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 is where we begin our study this morning. Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Matthew gives us a very condensed version of the account of the final days Jesus spent with his disciples after his resurrection. We know from the other gospel accounts and the book of Acts that Jesus actually spent time with the disciples on a number of occasions over the course of some 40 days following his resurrection. Acts one three, for example, Luke writes this, he says, After his suffering, making reference to the crucifixion of Jesus, he, Jesus, presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Well, in Matthew's brief account, the 11 disciples, they meet Jesus in Galilee on the mountain where he had told them to go. Why are there only 11 disciples? Well, remember, Judas betrayed Jesus, and he's no longer part of the 12. What mountain is this where the disciples meet with Jesus? Well, we don't know. We're not told. And as I've mentioned before, these mountains are what we would consider hills where we live. But they're mountains where they live. I think it's a blessing that we don't know the exact location of this meeting. If we did, you can be sure that this mountain would have been made into a shrine, which would actually go against what Jesus taught. I find no evidence in the Bible of Jesus ever being in favor of religious shrines and that kind of thing. He wants us to know Him without all of the human-made religious apparatus that we have such a bad habit of coming up with. Verse 17, When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. The disciples, they recognized Jesus as the divine Son of God, and they worship Him. They had worshipped Jesus before, but the character and the depth of their worship of Jesus has grown following His resurrection. He has overcome death. His resurrection has established Him as very God. It says, but some doubted. First, I want to point out that the word translated from Greek into English here as doubted doesn't mean disbelieved, but rather hesitated, wavered, or uncertain. See, it's not an outright settled rejection of the resurrection of Jesus, but instead it's describing a struggle to get their minds around what they're witnessing. They have never encountered something like this before. It breaks conventions. It goes against the way things work. People who die stay dead. It's a one-way street. People don't come back. This person who looks and talks and acts like Jesus was dead, they were certain of that. But this person before them now is certainly not dead. There must be some explanation for what they're seeing other than this being the same person. Jesus, it it can't be. Some were doubting, and understandably so. Scholars argue that the some who doubted may not actually be a reference to the 11 disciples, but to others. But we know that even among the 11 disciples, there was a struggle to come to terms with the reality of the resurrected Jesus. When the disciples first heard the report from the women who had seen Jesus, it says they doubted their story. It sounded like crazy talk. The two disciples who encountered the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize Jesus at first. The first time most of the disciples saw Jesus, they thought they were seeing a ghost, it tells us, until Jesus had them touch him and he ate some food in front of them to prove to them that he was real. Thomas, one of the eleven, when he first heard the story that Jesus had resurrected, he said he wouldn't believe it until he saw Jesus for himself and he could put his finger into the nail holes in his hands and where the spear had pierced his side. And Thomas got his wish. A few days later, after he said that, Jesus stood before Thomas. He says, Hey Thomas. And he invited him to put his finger into the nail holes and where the spear had pierced him. Jesus said to Thomas, He said, Stop doubting and believe. Thomas having had his mind blown, exclaimed, my Lord and my God. John 20, 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas and the other disciples, they had the unique opportunity to see and to touch the resurrected Jesus. But Jesus says that those who believe in him without having seen him are blessed in a special way. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you are among those who have received this special blessing. Peter, he says a similar thing in 1 Peter 1.8 about those who put their faith in Jesus without ever having seen him. Every person begins their journey of coming to terms with the reality of the resurrected Jesus from a place of doubt. We we move to a place of faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Son of God, as we encounter Him, as we consider the evidence before us, as He reveals Himself to us, as the Holy Spirit gives us understanding, as we open our life to Him. The next verses, verses 18 through 20, are the final words that Jesus is recorded in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus who have spoken to his disciples, and they have come to be, to be referred to as the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The first questions that come to mind for us, though, are why are these verses called the Great Commission? What does commission mean? And why is this the Great Commission? A commission is a command, a charge, a duty, a directive. A closely related word is mission, which is the carrying out of a commission. People often use the words commission and mission interchangeably because the difference in meaning is so subtle. When we call these verses the great commission, we mean that what Jesus says here is the great duty and directive that he has given his followers. This is the great charge that is to drive what we do and why we do it. These are our marching orders as his followers. This is the grand mission of the church. What is this great commission that he's given us? Verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He begins by stating his right and his authority for giving us this grand charge. Jesus Christ is over Every and all realms, both physically and spiritually, there is nothing that is not under His authority except for the Godhead itself of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Satan tempted Jesus in the desert wilderness just before he began his public ministry back in Matthew chapter 4, you might remember Satan, he offered to give Jesus All of the kings of the kingdoms of the world that he would bow down and worship him. Because of Jesus' obedience and submission to the will of the Father, going through the suffering and the death on the cross, rather than taking what appeared to be the fast and easy way to power that Satan was offering him. Jesus has more than Satan could have ever offered him. He's before all. You know, the same is true for us within the context of our life. There's reward in obedience and submission to our Heavenly Father. The reward, it may not come in the current moment, but it will come. And on the other side of this life, we will be co-heirs with Jesus. Taking the fast in the easy way when it comes against the commands of the Lord ultimately ends in disappointment and loss. So carrying out the great commission of Jesus, it begins with our submission to him as the one who has authority over us. If we're a follower of Jesus, he determines the mission of our life. You know, a question that that dogs us as human beings throughout our life really is, what am I to do with my life? People are always asking that question. The answer to that question, it should start with us asking, what does Jesus want me to do with my life? That should be the question we begin with. Regardless of our age or stage in life, what does Jesus want me to do with my life? Because all authority has been given to him. He has authority over me and over you. My life is his. What does he want me to do with my life In verse 19, he begins, says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Simply stated, the, the great commission that Jesus has given to us, his followers, is to work at making every person in this world a follower of Jesus. Let's take a look at that in a little more detail here. He says, go and make disciples. This commission he's given us, it requires effort on our part. It's something that we're being told to do. It doesn't just happen. We're being told by Jesus to go and make disciples. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is seeking to imitate Jesus, to duplicate Jesus, to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus as their Lord. Dallas Willard said, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Now think about that. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. We're not all going to be exact duplicates of one another. were to be exact duplicates of Jesus expressed within the unique creation that he's made each of us. Disciple Jeff is not going to look exactly like disciple John or Mary or whoever. But we're all going to look like Jesus. The particular process, steps, methods that a person follows for being a disciple of Jesus and helping others be disciples of Jesus can vary a million different ways. But the basic form is described by Jesus as baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. says, go and make disciples of all nations. Every person in this world is invited to become a disciple of Jesus. We, as his followers, are to seek to make disciples of every person in this world. There are no restrictions. No one is left out or uninvited. It doesn't matter a person's economic status, social status, education, gender, race, creed, history, sinfulness, all are called, all are welcome. As disciple makers, it's imperative that we not exclude anyone from being invited to become a disciple of Jesus Christ and that we not refuse to help anyone be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're to extend our hand to all. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The entire triune Godhead is involved here. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all invite, all rescue, all are part of the life-changing salvation of people. In Christ, we have a new father, we have a new brother, we have a new comforting companion. The essential idea here in us being baptized is about us embracing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, leaving our old life behind us, becoming part of His new community and kingdom, entering into a new life as a follower of Jesus Christ. See, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, a a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, is a fundamental change in direction in how we think and live, in how we see and understand the world Jesus becomes the center of our life, and whatever was at the center before isn't anymore. Baptism symbolizes that. He says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Observing, doing, obeying all that Jesus commanded is what a disciple of Jesus does. That's what a disciple of Jesus does, obeys everything that he commands. Jesus is telling us to teach others to do the same thing that we're supposed to be doing. Now, a quick point of clarification here. Jesus, about all that he has commanded, Jesus is not referring to obeying and following just the red-lettered words in our Bible. The, the, the things that he is quoted to have said that are found in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is referring to the whole Bible, not just the red-letter stuff. Some people have the mistaken idea that the red-letter words count for more than the rest of the Bible in some way, and that isn't true. It all counts. It's all important. It all carries the authority of Jesus. Where, where do we think Peter... John, Paul got the stuff that they wrote in their books in the Bible. They got that stuff from Jesus. And they're speaking as Jesus' representative when they write that stuff. The book of Galatians, for example, is as authoritative and to be obeyed as much as the quoted words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. They're of equal weight. The ethics Jesus teaches are not always easy. Sometimes they go against what our culture tells us is right and acceptable. Sometimes it's very unpopular. Sometimes our desires scream against what Jesus teaches us to do but his way is the best way, always. Yeah. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus's way is not always the easiest way, but it is the way that always leads to life. He ends by saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises to be with his disciples always. He will never leave us. He will not abandon us. He he hasn't given us this great commission and then left us to fend for ourselves. Jesus has promised to help us carry out this great commission. He will be working in us and on us and through us and for us and around us. So I said a moment ago, simply stated the great commission that Jesus has given us as followers is to seek to make every person in this world a follower of Jesus. Well, People both inside and outside the church, they have all kinds of ideas about what they think the mission of the church is supposed to be. But they're not the ones who establish our mission. Jesus is. And it's important for us to remember that. It's easy for the church, and when I say church, I'm talking about the followers of Jesus. Christians. It's easy for the church to let itself get pressured into trying to meet the expectations of others, chasing their priorities and their agendas and their goals and their missions. And, you know, some of those things are great causes, but they're not the great cause, the great commission that Jesus has given to us. What we have here in Matthew chapter 28 is the great commission for the church, which has come directly from our founder and leader, Jesus Christ. Christian, this is our great cause, to go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. Lord, help us to be faithful to the commission that you have given to us. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great commission, the great mission, the great cause, the great directive that you have given to us. And Lord, we confess, we get knocked off course pretty easily at times. We get distracted. We get intimidated. We can get focused on other things, Lord. And we ask that you would give us clarity of understanding. And we would have hearts that hunger and thirst after you, Lord, above all things. We thank you for this Gospel of Matthew, the account of the life of Jesus that you've preserved for us all these many years, that we can read about the life of Jesus and reflect on the wonderful things that he did and taught. Father, we ask you to make us more like Jesus, build into us, Christ-likeness, may we be disciples of Jesus, duplicating him in our life, Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, change us and continue to do your good work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.